Welcome all you Eurofolk radio listeners. We're back here with Voice of Christian Israel. Today is Sunday, February 11, 2024. And we are basking in the glow of October 7, 2023, when the Jews shot themselves in the foot by murdering all those Palestinians and lying about it. And nobody's believing them anymore. That's the really good news, brothers. Thank you for sticking with us here because we have been trying to expose the evil presence of the international Jew for what? Since 19, I'm sorry, 2014. (laughs) Actually, 1914 is about when, uh, uh, what's his name? Henry Ford uh, began exposing the Jews for what they are in his book, The International Jew. All right, so thanks for listening, everybody. And today we have a really nice surprise for you. A former host of Your Folk Radio had his own show by the name of Ted Midward. How are you doing, Ted? I'm doing quite well. It's great to be back. It's great to talk with you guys. Uh, I'm really excited to uh, get into the topic that we have today. A huge topic, might I add. There's so many angles and facets uh, to what we're going to talk about. I I almost think we're going to have to do multiple shows on this, uh, Pastor Eli. Yeah, yeah, and I already announced you know, in the chat area that we're going to be talking primarily, it's going to be, we're going to do a series on the Civil War, okay, what really happened during the Civil War, who is responsible for it, the lies that we've been told about the Civil War on, on both sides of the camp, from or North and the South, and I know a lot of neo-Confederates uh, blame everything on Lincoln, and we're going to find out even today that you can't blame everything on Lincoln. He was just a, a, what you, a country bumpkin from Springfield, Illinois, who uh, he he hated slavery. Uh, that, that's all there is to it. He hated slavery, but that does not mean he loved blacks. In fact, one of the best quotes that Lincoln gave on the subject was, just because I want to free a, a female slave does not mean I want to marry her. <laughs> okay. So why don't you, uh, for some of the listeners who remember you, uh, why don't you say hello to the audience and then maybe uh, tell them a little bit about yourself before we get started. Yeah, uh, back uh, after, let's see, after the Trump election, uh, so 2017, 2018, uh, I, I did uh, some shows that we featured here on EFR. I did shows with Eli. I think we did two shows on the Civil War. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about Vietnam on a separate instance. Uh, I, I know we did another health show where we talked about uh, Joel Wallach and nutrition, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. We did several shows, you and I, and, right. and they were great. And I regret that I didn't stick around and do more with you guys. I had other things to take care of and get settled. But, uh, you know, I, I got into conspiracy history as a teenager, okay? I was uh, a freshman in high school when 9-11 happened. Mm. And I, I got on the oh. Internet. Uh, Pastor Eli, and I got very interested in what the heck happened on 9-11. And so, you know, back then, 20 years ago, the early 2000s, uh, I I just saw a thing. I guess uh, David Icke and Alex Jones had had an interview together this week. Okay. To find... You know, as a teenager trying to navigate conspiracy history, hidden history, all these sort of topics. And, um, you know, I've kind of moved on. I, I don't I don't get into there. I, I don't really follow them like I used to. But those were the first two. And, and Jeff Rents, 
I have to uh-huh. say rents.com. That was a big one. You search for anything conspiracy on the internet. You, you were bound to, to get a rents.com link. So, uh, no one held my hand through any of this. I sort of had to figure it out. And, and a big step of that was me as a teenager. Um, right. Uh, I, I had studied the Constitution. I, I developed a, uh, a love for the Founding Fathers, but uh, I, I went to a Barnes & Noble one day, and I got a David Icke book, and that set me off and introduced <laughs> me to the Rothschilds, the New World Order, all that sort of thing, right? So it's been a long, long process, but um, I've always been interested in this. Uh, you know, I, I work heavy hours, but still, it, it's something I can't turn away from. It's kind of right. like it's kind of like the Matrix. You take the red pill, you learn about this stuff. <laughs> you can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. You can't. I can't stop checking the news. It's a nonstop battle. And you know, before I before I learned any of this, Eli, to be honest with you, I didn't really care. I wasn't interested in history. Right. But once I once I learned about the founding fathers. Once I learned about the Rothschild bankers trying to take control of various uh, various states in, in Europe and, of course, our, our young American republic, I sort of got addicted and wanted to know more and more. <laughs> right. There's a lot of people that uh, they, they love watching the crime shows, Law and Order, uh, all that sort of thing, the mysteries, the thrillers. Well, mm-hmm. in my opinion, folks, if you get clued into this, th- this hidden history and how the Jews have tried to subvert topple and overthrow Christendom, uh, there, there is nothing that will capture your interest like oh, this. Yeah. I, I'm fully convinced. Well, no, the history books leave out all the good stuff. Correct. Right? Yeah, the juicy conspiracy stuff, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And now, well, you go ahead. Uh, so, you know, I, I did that. I always wanted to do it. There's a part of me, you know, I'm in my mid-30s now. There's a part of me when I look back, that, there's a part of me that's disappointed that I didn't pack my bags and go go meet Alex Jones and just mm. go work for him and pursue right. this full-time. Right, yeah. So I've had to do a balancing act of having a normal <laughs> a normal right. life where I go out and get a normal job and have a, and have a family and all that sort of thing and balance this – and, and, you know, some people go out there, they put their face in everything and become the center of it. You know, I mm-hmm. wish them the best of luck. Some of them do a great job. Oh, that was Alex Jones to a T. He's always trying right. to be that. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so, and, and there's another, like Nick Fuentes from Chicago. Mm-hmm. I, I have all the respect in the world for him. I didn't think it was the best idea for me to do that. And to be honest with you, with the sort of things I've had to go through in my personal life, I'm glad that I kind of stayed behind the scenes. I okay. I have enough problems. I don't need any more enemies. I don't need uh, Antifa or uh, the Jewish Defense League trying to pound down my door in the middle of the night. So yeah, right. that's <laughs> sort of the approach. I, I've no, taken that never happens. That never happens. <laughs> right. right, right. But actually, so, as you're talking, I'm reminded of those days there was – what really happened? A whole number of websites popped up because of 9/11, all yes. debunking the you know, the mainstream narrative, right? Right. Okay. And might I add, I'll toss this in because I saw you were a guest. Um, like I said, I work heavy hours. The one thing that that works out for me during the day with my long hours is that I'm able to um, basically be off uh, operating equipment, driving vehicles by myself. Mm-hmm. And these new these new vehicles, Eli, they got Bluetooth, they have oh. USB ports, 
So I take the flash drive and I, huh. I go grab all the old shows I used to listen to and all the new stuff, whatever I can get my hands on, essentially. Right. And I'll toss it in there and to help me pass the time in the day, I'll listen to all these old radio shows, broadcasts, you name it. And right. um, I noticed that uh, I was going through a bunch. I used to listen to IamTheWitness.com. It was Daryl right. Bradford Smith. I was Smith. trying to think. Of, yeah, Daryl Bradford Smith. And, and he, he interviewed me a couple times also, yeah. Right. You were a guest on there. Andy Hitchcock was a guest. He is the one that took me from sort of the New World Order stuff to, mm-hmm. folks, this is Zionism, this is Jews, you know, seven yeah. out of ten billionaires are Jewish folks, but they're right. only 2% of the United States. Yeah. He took me to a lot of this of getting past. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, the New World, you know, the Alex Jones stuff. In right. Short. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Alex Jones yeah, view of... Yeah, you were of, a guest on there. Andy yeah. was a guest. So that's that's really really where I got my teeth sunk into the hardcore facts. And it was a shocking thing that, that almost <laughs> made bet. me sick to realize what yeah, happened with, with right. 9-11 and the dancing Israelis and how they did this to us. So Yeah, yeah uh, very good. Not to, so, get, not to get too far off track here with me, with me flapping about this, because I know we have other things to right. talk about. But that's just but, a brief thing. So the Civil War, I, I recorded several things back when I was doing shows on EFR that I put up on my own site. Uh-huh. For folks that want to go grab those, you're, you're going to have to, I guess, get on the Wayback Machine and see if you can pull them up. I don't have them currently hosted anywhere. I, I basically have them on flash drives and hard drives. But okay. I did record as an audiobook Lincoln's Negro Policy, okay, mm-hmm. by Ernest Sevier Cox. I bought a copy from... Either the Barnes Review or American Free Press. I can't remember which years ago. And then uh, another one that uh, all you folks out there that like dual seed line Christian identity, there was another one by Willie Martin. And I believe the title of the paper was called The Jews Caused the Civil War. Ah, Now, these these things, Eli, really, Mm -hmm. really opened my eyes. See, I thought I had known, oh, yeah, the Civil War is about slavery, period. Right. Right. That's right. That's sort of the easy answer that we're spoon-fed, and there was just a, a big brouhaha in the news when, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Nikki Haley, she's out here campaigning to be the next Republican presidential candidate. Someone asked her point blank at an event, what caused the Civil War? Ah. And she didn't. She did not immediately snap to the politically correct answer that uh-huh. it was a war over slavery. So um, this is a thing that keeps popping up. There's a lot of deception and misleading things about what we've been taught. And I know we're going to dive into a lot of that today, aren't we? Right, right. Well, my new slogan is, if you don't offend somebody, you haven't spoken the truth, right? And uh, this is going to offend everybody because the problem with the Civil War is, as you just said, it was orchestrated by the Jews. And that that includes Southerners and Northerners. But I do not include Abraham Lincoln as one of the orchestra orchestra performers. He got dragged into it against his will. But nevertheless, here's here's what I see. The North, basically because we quote-unquote won the war, uh, has held him up as a champion of racial integration. Right? Right. And the South demonizes him as the one and only cause of the Civil War, the, the Lincoln bashers, right? Well, Correct. that's not true either. <laughs> Neither one of those uh, statements is true. But actually, 
just to comment on what you were saying about 9-11, now that I think about it, because I just had just done a show where I mentioned the uh, Communications Act under Bill Clinton. I think it was 1996, if I'm not mistaken. And I think they had, because what happened was under Clinton, when he signed that act, he gave the big corporations the right to buy up all these little stations all over the country. All right. And those yes. little stations were almost exclusively right-wing, patriotic, American, hot apple pie, and uh, Bud Light. <laughs> Bud, <laughs> Bud Light people, right? So when uh, Bill Clinton signed that law, it enabled the corporations to put all those people out of business. I think they had to do that before 9-11. Yes. Yeah, I, I do remember hearing that a little bit. I think you are correct that Clinton was the one who put that in motion. Mm-hmm. And um, it, there's a lot, you know, Eli, you and I talked about doing uh, several other topics, several other shows. You mentioning Bill Clinton. We ought to do a whole we ought to do a whole another series. And right. I, I can dig up a lot of it, but we ought to do the, the uh behind-the-scenes war against the American presidency, because even though we might not like some of these Democrat presidents, like Bill Clinton, like Jimmy Carter, I have seen a lot of information, Pastor Eli, that mm-hmm. our uh, our supposed friends in the Middle East had quite a big hand in, in moving against both those men in particular and getting rid of them, hurting yes. them, hurting them in public. Um, right. You, folks, you got to get past the Democrat-Republican thing and yes. see the bigger picture of who's manipulating who here. And so, you got to get past, get past the good Jew, bad Jew thing, <laughs> right? Because there are no good Jews. There might be rebellious Jews who don't like being pushed around by by the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers, and they they publish valuable information. So I, I get the vast majority of my from our great impersonation. I got most of my information from two sources, from Christian identity people and from the Jews themselves. There you go. Perfect. Okay. Right. Okay. So, uh, and then, uh, well, uh, so, yeah, I think we can proceed to today's topic, which is uh, going to be primarily about the American Colonization Society, of which Abraham Lincoln was a member. He'll take it away. Right. So the bulk of this information that we're going to cover, I I got myself from, uh, like I mentioned, Lincoln's Negro Policy by Ernest Sevier Cox. And Mm -hmm. this was written, I believe, in the late 1930s by Mr. Cox. Okay. Uh, Interesting little fact. um, You know, I'm more familiar with Malcolm X and, of course, Martin Luther King. But Ernest Sevier Cox notes in this book, he was friends with Marcus Garvey. Oh, and really? I don't know. I don't know much about Marcus Garvey. Before I read this little note, I hear blacks on the Internet yapping about Garvey and all this sort of thing. But right. I, what I gather is that Marcus Garvey was like the original father of the back to Africa stuff. Yeah. In the before. 20th century. Yes. yes. So uh, interesting. He, he was friends with these people and had apparently quite a bit of background with this. So. And let me just say, when it comes to Civil War topics, um, I've read a lot of pro-Southern literature. Yeah. I, I think I think they have honest grievances, and I sure. think a, a, in the big picture that the South 
uh, really did get a raw deal because oh yeah for sure going no going all the way back to well the Constitution but before that the Declaration of Independence the Northern colonies needed the South they needed the South on board as a united front to yeah. fight King George the Third and to secure independence right and just an example just an example of um, you know, you, you hear neo-Confederates say, say that oh, slavery had nothing to do with the Civil War, or had, had nothing to do, and they try to make it all this other thing. Slavery was a contentious issue all right. the way back to the Declaration of Independence. Yes. Uh, everyone, knows, everyone knows the line that Thomas Jefferson wrote, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, if it wasn't for Benjamin Franklin, the great uh, Renaissance man, really, uh, mm-hmm. the Leonardo da Vinci of the Founding Fathers – Benjamin Franklin stopped Jefferson and said, take out this word property, because Jefferson originally had life, liberty, and property. Take this out and put in something else. So Jefferson puts in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. Franklin saw that putting this word property in the Declaration of Independence, when the American colonists were trying to secure their own freedom and independence from Great Britain and King George III, that this was going to stoke a big sideshow fiasco at the Continental Congress about slavery oh, and the whether Southerners blacks are property. back out. Whether blacks are property or not, is that what you're getting right, at? Right, oh, right. Okay. It was going to devolve into a big fiasco uh-huh. about slavery and oh, how he yeah. was. All right, the, the uh, Constitution may never have been written if that word had R- been in there. Right, and, and then later on, okay, um, Later on in what the around 17, what is it? The late 1787, the constitution's ratified after the States uh, sign on to the bill of rights. There's a big fight with federalists and anti-federalists. But my point is the South did get screwed. You can read some of this with with John Calhoun and uh, the compromise of 1850, the compromise of 1820. These are big events in, in U.S. history that show that slavery was a contentious issue, no matter how you right. feel about it. Right. So, yeah, and uh, the Southerners, just, uh, I, I have a sympathy for them. I think they yeah. were screwed. Oh, yeah. no, we're, Southern we're slavery brothers. was protected right. by the uh, Constitution. Yeah, and Lincoln and, said so. He agreed. He he did not have the right to end slavery where it existed. That's okay. correct. Congress was delegated no power in the Constitution. Over yeah. slavery. They could not regulate it. They couldn't touch yeah. it. They couldn't do anything. Right. They had no right, right to interfere with it. And yeah. like you said, yeah. we see Lincoln say this. He tries to reassure the South that he has no plans to interfere with slavery. His primary focus at the beginning was to save. And uh, well, that was his focus throughout the Civil War, to save the Union. Okay. Which, uh, and that's Correct. why the Southerners were called rebels. You know, because they were rebelling against the Union, not against the North. In the North, they were perceived as rebelling against the Union. And you have also a lot of, in the South, there was a lot of talk about Thomas Jefferson. Oh, we believe in the principles of Thomas Jefferson. Well, Thomas Jefferson opposed slavery, (laughs) right? Even though he owned slaves, he opposed the institution. Okay. Correct. So there's a lot of false rhetoric. Go ahead. Yes, these men recognize, kind of like Abe, Abe Lincoln said. I think it was, I think he might have said this in the debates with Stephen Douglas in what 1858, the before the election of 1860. 
If slavery isn't wrong, nothing is wrong, right? Yes, that's what he said. Yep. And they're talking about the moral issue of slavery. It's not right to take the fruits of a man's labor and give him nothing. We all know this is this yeah, is wrong. Even even a Negro resents that, right? <laughs> but Correct. They, they'll go out and steal stuff and not think twice about it, right? But if you steal something from them, like uh, their labor and not pay them for it, oh man, they get really upset. Right. So should we. So John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, a lot of these men knew it was wrong. Um, You know, when we talked previously, Eli, you had kind of you kind of came out full throttle and you hit me with a different angle that I hadn't really thought about. And you you were criticizing uh, the neo-Confederates. Right. And I think you were right. And I didn't expect it. And I didn't really give much thought to it. But you you essentially told them. You know, they try to sidestep the issue of race and this slavery thing, and they ought, they want to go on and on about the legal theory of secession. Right. And, you know, blacks, liberals, Jews, they see neo-Confederates sidestep the race and slavery thing, and they lose all respect. That's right. F- for neo-Confederates yeah. for That's it. That's right. That's right. I-, I have seen that myself, and I've thought that myself when I watch these videos on YouTube of people explaining. And, and like I said, I'm not saying – that neo-Confederates don't have legitimate gripes. I think they do. I think they, they got do. screwed. The right. North, more or less, in the, in the let's say, 18, the Compromise of 1820, they try, to make, they try to bring Missouri into the Union. There's a big fiasco in Congress about right. is it going to be free, is it going to be slave? Well, for, for all the reasons I won't get into, the North – was able to essentially box the South out of expanding into the Western territories. With slavery, yes. Right. right. So, yeah. uh, John Calhoun, 30 years later, I talked about the Compromise of 1820. You folks can look into that and all the, all the details. 1850 comes along. Uh, you know, We've won the Mexican Cession. That ter- territory, we're going to admit California into the Union. And the Northerners are able to box the South out of expanding westward. And John Calhoun gives a speech on the Senate floor a few weeks before he dies, old and frail. Right. And he lists all the reasons that the South is getting screwed by this this arrangement. And he mm-hmm. warns the Northerners that you're not leaving us very many options to make this right. Yeah. You're not really accommodating us. You're not letting us go westward. If you don't stop this, this is going to be a huge disaster. He's saying this in 1850. Right. So, of course, 10, 11 years later, we have a Civil War kickoff. A lot of people saw this coming. This wasn't new. Uh, Eli, you and I watched the video clip of – it was the HBO series John Adams, and in the scene, it's Thomas Jefferson talking to Alexander Hamilton about the differences in power between the North and the South. Right. The North has bankers. The North has industry. The South, they're kind of they're kind of backwoods agrarian people. All they, essentially, all they have is king cotton uh, along with some agriculture products. So Thomas Jefferson foresaw this coming. He saw it. He said it to Alexander Hamilton. He said it after the Constitution. And then he writes a letter in 1820 when when Missouri coming into the Union as a new state uh, becomes a huge fiasco in Congress. And he wrote a letter to John Holmes, and he described slavery, the presence of, of Negro slavery in the United States, as uh, 
uh, quote, uh, having a wolf by the ears. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Fun. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So, oh, boy. And, and what he's, essentially the context, you might imagine, imagine you're out in the woods and, and a wolf or some predator, you're able to wrangle this predator and, and you're holding on. You realize I can't hold on to this thing forever. No, I, I'm getting tired. This thing's ferocious. He's he's full of uh, full right. of fight. I'm getting tired. I don't have just the ate a big meal. To restrain this, <laughs> just this ate a big meal forever. before I grabbed him by the but, ears, right? <laughs> correct. But okay. if I let this wolf go, if mm. I let this wolf free, this wolf is going to eat me alive. Yes. And white men in this era, the founding generation. And then, like I said, the, the eight the eight decades later, up until the 1860s, these men knew. They saw what happened in Santo Domingo, or San Domingo, what, what became Haiti. They saw what happened. If we're outnumbered by mm-hmm. Negroes, these people yeah. can turn any they instant will. And, they, and kill they, We don't even have all. to be outnumbered by them. All we have to do is feed them. <laughs> right? Correct. <laughs> the feeding the wolf. Right. And just to uh, just to finish up the point on Thomas Jefferson and his letter to John Holmes about having a wolf by the ear, he called it the death knell of the Union. This bickering over slavery was going to lead to the death knell of the Union. Right. It was going to be the end of the Union. And the right. founding generation, they were not happy about that. There's quotes from John Adams that mm-hmm. warning, warning his son, John Quincy Adams, and future generations, if you only knew how much we gave up, to win our freedom and independence from Great Britain. Right. Uh, you folks have no idea what we gave up, and to toss it away on something trivial like this yeah. is an absolute travesty. So there right. are people who saw this coming. This this yes. didn't just happen out of nowhere necessarily. Well, okay, and, and this is uh, another aspect of Lincoln's policy toward the South was to let your manumit, means to set them free, so we can put them on boats and send them back to Africa. That's what the American Colonization Society was all about. Okay? But uh, John Calhoun did not like that idea, and we can get into that. So, yeah, and, and there's so much, uh, let me put it this way, there's so much backstory involved in the Civil War that we could we could spend days just talking about that, you know what the disagreements were, but it was up to Thomas Jefferson because there was a um, 20-year period where slaves could still be imported to America, but after 20 years, they had to stop, and Thomas Jefferson signed that bill, put a stop to it, and so any Southerner who says, well, we're Jeffersonians, well, now, wait a minute, (laughs) isn't he the one who put an end to the importation of slaves, Right? So there's some double talk coming out of them. All right, back to you. So in the opening pages of uh, of Lincoln, Lincoln's Negro policy, uh, I, I believe this is uh, part of his Emancipation Proclamation. So okay. I'll, I'll read this, and you folks will see that it wasn't just to free the slaves and then marry your daughters off to them and make them voters and eat and jerks with us. It (laughs) was a two-part program. It was emancipation and then repatriation as the final step. There you go. There you go. So here we go. Quote, I, Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States and Commander-in-Chief of the Army and the Navy thereof, do hereby proclaim and declare that 
it is my purpose upon the next meeting of Congress to again recommend the immediate or gradual abolishment of slavery and that the effort to colonize persons of African descent with their consent upon the continent or elsewhere with the previously obtained consent of the government existing there will be continued and that on the first day of January in the year of our Lord 1863 all persons held as slaves within any state or any designated part of a state the people whereof shall then be in rebellion of the uh, in rebellion against the United States shall be then thenceforth and forever forward free okay so you well, can see he mentions colonization Right, right, in the right. Yeah. Proclamation. At the very this beginning. is the now, part they leave out of the history books. That's right. And also the fact that he did not try to impose emancipation at the beginning of the war. And this is what the um, that's what the uh, South was saying, that Lincoln was a nigger lover. And if when if and when Lincoln becomes president, you're all going to be forced to uh, you know, engage in. Uh, amalgamation is the term used, race mixing. Okay. Right. And that was a right. lie. That, Go ahead. That was uh, Stephen Douglas from and tells the crowd in these speeches, these debates uh, in 1858 that, oh, you, know, you can't support Lincoln. Like you said, he's a Negro lover. He wants to uh, integrate these people and make them equals. He kind of taunts and insults Abraham Lincoln and Lincoln goes on to give uh, you know a couple paragraphs talking about how we're so fundamentally different we can't possibly live under the same government and that these folks need to go on and, and live in their own climb or climate I think he's getting at so of course yes uh, Stephen Douglas is an interesting character he's a Democrat he's from Illinois and I you know I maybe I can ask you this in some of my studies it seems like Stephen Douglas can be blamed for the election of Abraham Lincoln. As you know, there's two Democrat not uh, not nominees, oh. but two Democrat contenders on the ticket in 1860. Right. Stephen Douglas from Illinois, and then the Southerners don't like Stephen Douglas because no, Stephen don't. Douglas won't affirm the South's right to take their slaves into the new territories out west. That's right. Stephen right. Douglas came up with this idea of squatter sovereignty or popular sovereignty. Right. Basically saying whoever gets there first with the mostest, they can right. write their own state constitution and they can decide whether it will be free or a slave state. Yeah, and the, the, the southern slaveholders did not like that idea because they knew that not all of the new states would want slavery. So, But they wanted to have their foot in the door in every new state and uh, – uh, Stephen Douglas's policy would not guarantee that, okay? And it's interesting right. that you bring that up because that is actually what the uh, Republican Party platform was all about. It was not a, had nothing to do with slavery as it existed. It had to do with the expansion of slavery in the West. And the Republican Party platform of that day clearly stated, we are opposed to the expansion of slavery from where it now exists into the new states. We don't want any more slavery. But in addition to that, the, the rank-and-file northerners, now we're, we have to make a distinction between the eastern liberals who are, by and large, puppets of the Rothschilds, 
many of them that were actually communists already at that point in time, we have to make a distinction between them and the average northerner. The average northerner did not want slaves coming from the south, moving up there, taking away their jobs, and having to marry with their daughters. That was the last thing the average northerner wanted. And so they were right on board with Lincoln. They were on board with Lincoln. But the, the neo-Confederates will tell you that Lincoln was a nigger lover and he would have changed everything. No. Why didn't he change it right away when he became president? The only time he did it was after, uh, I forget which state it was, basically had lost their their battle in which he invoked war powers, saying, okay, well now this is our property now, and we're going to take your property, namely black slaves, and impress them into our army. And he said, well, I have saved a lot of white lives by, by right. having blacks fight for us. Okay, all right. So again, the truth must be told. Back to you. Yes. Now, this was a difficult thing. Like I said, I've read so much pro-South history from a Southern point of view. It was really hard uh, for me, Eli, to wrap my head around the fact that uh, the Republicans, the Northerners, that uh, they were against slavery. But but okay, but why? Mm -hmm. So. You know, modern history, these historians, they sell it as a moral issue that that northerners had these bleeding liberal hearts for the poor, the poor slaves working the fields, picking cotton. Right. But when I dug into it, Eli, that's that's not really what I found. No, Uh, there were different parties from in the 1800s up to the run up to the 1860s when the Civil War finally kicks off. There are different parties there are different movements, uh, one of them being the Free Soilers. These are northerners, and they don't want slavery in the new states, the western territories, because they don't want the presence of Negroes mm-hmm. in their new territory or state. It had Amen. nothing to do with, with blacks being mistreated or right. you know, their hearts didn't bleed for, for Negroes being slaves. Right. They simply didn't want any Negroes in America, period. It was that's pure, right. raw white nationalism. And they don't that, teach that's that what it was. That's what it was in the history books. You'll never and hear about that in the, in the college textbooks today or any modern history books. Correct. And, yeah. and now one of these men, uh, going to read. His name was David Wilmot, and he's taught, you know, in official history and AP history in the high schools. You learn about the Wilmot Proviso. Oh, right. And this was when. Uh, when we won the Mexican session, the Mexican territories, this man from Pennsylvania, this representative, he was a congressman in the House of Representatives, he proposed a legislative amendment that would ban slavery from any territory acquired as a result of the war with Mexico. The amendment came to be known as the Wilmot Proviso. Right. He says this, I make no war upon the South nor upon slavery in the South. I have no squeamish sensitiveness upon the subject of slavery, nor morbid sympathy for the slave. I plead the cause of the rights of white free men. I would preserve for free white labor a fair country, a rich inheritance, where the sons of toil of my own race and my own color can live without the disgrace which association with Negro slavery brings upon free labor. There you go. I stand for the inviability of free territory. 
it shall remain free so far as my voice or vote can aid in the preservation of its character. Oh, for Hmm. the honor of the North, for the fair fame of our green hills and valleys, be firm in this crisis. Be true to your country and your race. The white laborer of the North claims your service. He demands that you stand firm to his interests and his rights, that you preserve the future homes of his children mm-hmm. on the distant shores of the Pacific from the degradation and dishonor <laughs> of Negro servitude. There Where the go. Negro slave labors, the free white man cannot labor by his side without sharing in his degradation there and you disgrace. Go. There you go. Boy, that guy's a real nigger lover, ain't he? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right? Now, I... I had never uh, previously seen this until about last month when I when I did some heavy digging and I was shocked and I, I don't have right. specific numbers for you Eli. There were radical abolitionists, the biggest uh, William Lloyd Garrison. Right. That um, I I, in, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to dig through a lot of the information I dug up to get you an answer, but mm-hmm. I think I, I would say maybe roughly half of the northerners who are against slavery it's for this reason it's for yes, pure self-interest for pure white half. nationalism the it only, is not any right. it is not anything to do about oh my bleeding heart these poor blacks right all this kind of stuff that was not their motivation that was only slavery. true uh ted that was only true of the eastern liberal establishment who uh, said oh well the blacks need to be equal to us there was no equality talk among the rank-and-file Northerners. That only came from the Eastern liberals, many of whom were skull and bonesmen, many of whom were in the employee of the Rothschilds. Okay? That's where that rhetoric came from, the, the, you know, those poor blacks. And where did they go? The, the pipeline to the north went to the northeast, right? Where you had you know, Connecticut, Massachusetts, those people. Okay? Now, I, I remember on a previous show that we did, uh, Eli, you brought to my attention. I had never read it previously, and you brought it up, and I believe we covered the whole thing on an audio back then. But it was um, it was Abraham Lincoln's reaction to the Dred Scott case, right. uh, the case of the fugitive slave who – I forget which state he made it to. Maybe it was Missouri or one of these other states. But this slave thought, well, I'm in a free state. I be's a free man now. And yep. he, he took it all the way to the Supreme Court, right? Yep. And there is a an epic, I, I will say, majority opinion by this Supreme Court justice, Roger B. Taney. And, you know, Lincoln and Roger B. Taney, they had quite an antagonistic relationship. They did not like each other one right. bit. Right. And I, I think it's uh, – I have this in front of me. I, we should really – I should read this. I, this is probably an abridged, an abridged right. uh, text here, but this is Roger B. Taney. And, and uh, I will add that you know, we could do more. We could go back in history. We could talk about the Andrew Jackson years. Right. We could talk about the Alexander Hamilton years after the Constitution's ratified. Roger B. Taney, uh, all credit to him, he's one of – the only ones who would obey and the 
the money, the treasuries from the second national bank and putting it in the actual government coffers. Right. Andrew Jackson had to fire two other officials in his administration because they chose Nicholas Biddle and the Rothschild Jews and they would not take the money and put it in the government coffers. That's right. So That's Andrew right. Jackson finally hired Roger B. Taney to do that and Roger B. Taney carried out his duties and he deserves our praise for it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and uh, by and large, I agree with everything that he said in the Dred Scott decision concerning blacks. They, they were officially the property of any Southern slave owner. Okay. And just because they moved North and claimed, well, now I'm free. Uh, well, there's no, the fact is in the state of Illinois, because that's where this happened. They had a law that blacks should not be armed. They're forbidden to carry arms because they perceived blacks as being dangerous, and they did not want them in Illinois. Correct. Okay. I think in 1853, the state legislature of Illinois, they, they passed what's called the Black Codes, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you were not a slave, even if you were a free black, you were not allowed to stick around anywhere in the territory of the state of Illinois. Right. They did not want them there. So there's all these little tidbits of history that we missed out on in the official history books. Oh, yeah. The Northerners, yeah. the Northerners folks, they did not want Negroes in their state. That's they right. didn't go down in the, in Reconstruction and try to bring blacks back and marry them off to their kids and be their neighbors. They did not lift a finger, folks. That's right. They didn't care about blacks and whatever happened to them. Yeah, that, and that, they thought the blacks were dangerous, and that's why they didn't want them in their communities. And they were right. Just look at what happened when uh, LBJ, another Jew-loving president, created the not-so-great society. Correct. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, mm-hmm. He really ruined the country with that. He in sure did. More ways than, than yeah. I, I don't think they could ever foresee what, what we have today. Yeah. So, okay, I said I was going to read Roger B. Taney's uh, opinion here. This is quite long, so bear with me. Uh, let me start okay. this. Here we uh, go. Me, Roger uh, B. Uh, just real quickly, you are dropping out occasionally for about two or three seconds, just to let you know. I don't know why, but you're coming back. That's the good thing. You're coming back in. I'll let you know if we miss something. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just jump in and interrupt me if, if yeah, okay. need be. Here we go. Roger B. Tawney, the Dred Scott decision, 1857. Can a Negro whose ancestors were imported to this country and sold as slaves, become a member of the political community formed and brought into existence by the Constitution of the United States, and as such become entitled to all the rights, privileges, and immunities guaranteed by that instrument to the citizen? The words people of the United States, quote-unquote, and citizens, quote-unquote, are synonymous terms, and they mean the same thing. They both describe the political body who, according to our Republican institutions, form the sovereignty and who hold the power and conduct of the government through their representatives. They are what we familiarly call the sovereign people, and every citizen is one of this people and a constituent member of this sovereignty. The question before us is whether the class of persons described in the plea in abatement compose a portion of this people and are constituent members of this sovereignty. We think they are not, and that they are not included, and we and were not intended to be included mm. under under the word citizens in the yeah. Constitution. Then that is and correct. can therefore yeah. claim none of the rights and privileges 
which that instrument provides for and secures to the citizens of the of the United States. And Thomas Jefferson was of the same opinion. He regarded Negroes as not equal to white people. Correct. Mm-hmm. On the contrary, they were at that time considered as a subordinate and inferior class of beings there you go. who had been subjugated by the dominant race and, whether emancipated or not, yet remained subject to their authority and had no rights or privileges but such as those who held the power and the government might choose to grant them. It is not the province of the court to decide upon the justice or injustice, the policy or impolicy of these laws. The decision of that question belonged to the political or lawmaking power, to those who form the sovereignty and frame the Constitution. The duty of this court is yeah, to uphold the Constitution. They have framed. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. And with the best lights we can obtain on the subject and to administer it as we find it according to its true intent and meaning when it was adopted. Okay. Now that In the opinion it... of the court, the yeah. legislation and histories of the times and the language used in the Declaration of Independence, they show that neither – the class of persons who had been imported as slaves, nor their descendants, whether they had become free or not, were then acknowledged as a part of the people, nor intended to be included in the general words used in that memorable instrument. Right. And it the, is and difficult. The proof, uh, sorry to interrupt. The proof of that was the fact that the first three immigration laws passed by that Congress did not include blacks, Jews, or Chinaman, or any other race besides white. Back to you. Correct. Okay. It is difficult at this day to realize the state of public opinion in relation to that unfortunate race, which prevailed in the civilized and enlightened portions of the world at the time of the Declaration of Independence and when the Constitution of the United States was framed and adopted. But the public history of every European nation displays it in a manner too plain to be mistaken. They had, for more than a century, been regarded as beings of an inferior order and altogether unfit to associate with the white race, either in social or political relations, and so far inferior that they had no rights which the white man was bound to respect. Amen. And that the Negro might justly, justly and lawfully be reduced to slavery for his benefit. He was bought and sold and treated as an ordinary article of merchandise and traffic. Whenever a profit could be made, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, uh, was yeah. at that time fixed and in universal this opinion, this was well known to be fixed and universal right. in the civilized portion of the white race. It was regarded as an axiom in morals as well in politics, which no one thought of disputing or supposed to be open to dispute. And men in every grade and position in society daily and habitually acted upon it in their private pursuits, as well as in matters of public concern. Right. Without doubt, without doubt for a moment the correctness of this opinion and in no nation was this was this opinion more firmly fixed or more uniformly acted upon 
than by the English government and the English people. Right. They they not only seized them on the coast of Africa and sold them or held them in slavery for their own use, but they took them as ordinary articles of merchandise to every country where they could make a profit on them and were far more extensively engaged in this commerce than any other nation in the world. The opinion thus entertained and acted upon in England was naturally impressed upon the colonies they founded on this side of the Atlantic. And, accordingly, a Negro of the African race was regarded by them as an article of property and held and bought and sold as such in every one of the 13 colonies which united in the Declaration of Independence and afterwards formed the Constitution of the United States. The slaves were more or less numerous in the different colonies, as slave labor was found more or less profitable. But no one seems to have doubted the correctness of the prevailing opinion of the time. Yes. The legislation of the different colonies furnishes positive and indisputable proof of this fact. Right. And right. once again, that's Chief Justice Roger B. Taney, right. Dred Scott versus Sanford. 1857. Right. And uh, even Thomas Jefferson believed that blacks uh, cannot co- coexist with whites, that they have to be separated. Okay. He that, was a that slave is, owner. Yeah. That is so, absolutely correct. And there's a little paragraph in Lincoln's Negro Policy specifically about Lincoln and Jefferson. And uh, if you don't mind, Eli, I will read that little yeah, uh, one or one and a half page uh, entry. Yeah. In this okay, book we have here. about ten minutes left, and uh, we haven't even gotten to the uh, African Colonization Society, but this is introductory <laughs> to it. Okay, the, the, the this has to be told. Go ahead. Lincoln and Jefferson. The. Re- okay. Okay. Uh, you, if you any, dropped, you dropped that, out at you dropped out at Lincoln and Jefferson. Uh, pick it up from there. The racial philosophy of Abraham Lincoln differs little, if any, from that of Thomas Jefferson. Each weighed the alternatives, and each chose separation. They considered the issues involved in holding the races together. Mr. Jefferson said, Nothing is more certainly written in the book of fate than that these people are to be free. Nor is it less certain that the two races, equally free, cannot live in the same government. He declared that he wished for the Negroes the full liberties of men, but in a country of their own in a climate congenial to them. Shortly before his election to the presidency, Mr. Lincoln went into more detail in this respect. In a Douglas-Lincoln debate, Senator Douglas had said, quote, For one, I am opposed to Negro citizenship in any and every form. I believe this government was made by white men for the benefit of white men and their posterity forever. To these sentiments, Mr. Lincoln replied, saying, I will say then that I am not nor have ever been in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the white and black races, that I am not nor ever have been in favor of making voters or jurors of Negroes nor of qualifying them to hold office, nor to intermarry with white people. And I will say, in addition to this, 
that there is a physical difference between the white and black races, which I believe will forever forbid the two races living together on terms of social and political equality. Okay. So, Thus we quick see. question, were Jefferson and Lincoln correct about that? They were absolutely correct, 100%. That's right. That's right. And just going off the top of my head, there's another, there's another, I think it was uh, Benjamin Butler uh, recorded in his autobiography that he had a, he had a conversation with Lincoln. Lincoln says, we cannot, we can't live peacefully with these people. We got to get them out of here. There'll be That's no right. peace and harmony. And he, they were absolutely correct, folks. Look at what a disaster our country has been That's since right. the 1960s right. when the Jews produced this big civil rights movement and shoved blacks down America's throats. That's right. Absolutely. And that's why the, – but the blacks uh, – I mean the Jews didn't want the blacks set free and sent back to Africa. They wanted the blacks set free, period, to stay here and uh, destroy our society. Correct. Okay. And now, now you mentioned that. Here's an, <laughs> a yet another aspect we can get into, and may, maybe we can address it. Right. Uh, I, what I found, Eli, is that there was a big, there was a big influence um, with the North. Uh, there's a letter. There's a correspondence, I guess I should say, from Karl Marx to President Lincoln during the Civil War. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think Lincoln seizes on this opportunity. He sees that these Marxists, these communists overseas, they're going to support me if I come out and make this about slavery and humanity and all these sorts of virtuous and integration. things. The communists right. are, yeah, I've always been in favor of racial integration, always. Right. Okay. And I, I think there, there was more or less a Trojan horse in the north, in the Union yes. Army. There are Marxists, if, uh, specifically uh, – if you dig deep, I think you'll find they say, oh, these Germans. Well, I think you're going to find that they're Jews from Germany is what <laughs> yeah, I think. That's right. That's right. But but they are in here. The Turner Militia uh, is one of them. Carl Schurz is another name that I came across in researching a lot mm. of this. We'll have to touch on this another time. But right. the, the Marxists that in the radical Republicans, they come to, I guess, a sort of marriage. And this explains why, why yes. the South, in my opinion, or, or my – connecting of these dots this is why whites in the south were punished and they put negroes in office and oh ruled yeah over these whites in the south had to get rid of anybody who didn't approve of racial integration that, that's what the reconstruction was all about it was evil it was even more evil than the war itself yes this might have been america's um, mini bolshevik revolution at the end right. of the day Right. Of course, they yeah. kill Lincoln and get him out of the way, right? So yeah, because he opposed the bankers and he opposed racial integration, <laughs> right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, this story is so convoluted when you read the official history books, but it's really very simple when you know the truth. Okay. Correct. The radical There's abolitionists a... were the Eastern liberals, many of whom were communists, as you just said. So we have, uh, I guess, just a few minutes left. Um, right. Yeah, about three minutes. Are there, yeah. are there any closing statements you want to make here, Eli? Well, again, the radical abolitionists, in my opinion, according to the research I've done, and it's really hard to get at the bottom of this, but there's no doubt that the Rothschilds and the Eastern bankers were in bed with the radical abolitionists. Of this, there is absolutely no doubt. Okay. 
The question is whether these radical abolitionists were paid off by the Rothschilds. I believe they were. Uh, one indication is of the secret six, who were the Eastern liberal radical abolitionists who paid John Brown to come to Virginia and try to rouse the blacks against the North. Okay, well, John Brown was a pauper. <laughs> Where did he get the money to put himself and the weapons on board a train to go east? Uh, what do you uh, have? You had a chance to research that? Uh, correct. That that sounds about right. From the reading I have done, he came into large sums of money and, and uh, large sums of rifles, uh, military equipment, um, and, and he was a he was a what do you call it? Uh, a credit delinquent. He reneged on paying his bills. So I, uh-huh. I don't know how he was able to secure these loans. But you yeah. know, John Brown. John Brown is one of these folks. Get on any uh, comment section uh, about the Civil War on YouTube or on an Internet page, folks. These modern liberals, they love John Brown. They worship John Brown. Oh, yeah, they They, sure do. They they fully admit that, uh, you know, John Brown caused (laughs) – more or less caused the Civil War. There's a good case to make there. And um, this guy today, uh, he would have been, uh, you know, mentally ill – criminally insane right, he was a murderer no, he killed no. people in the new western territories no he was not a jew that, uh, he thought <laughs> pro slavery so right. yeah yeah there, there's a lot to here i'm okay. just wrapping my head around the fact that that the northerners uh, were against slavery because they didn't want negroes there that that is a big uh, that yes. i was shocked to find this out so i'm right, still right. coming to terms with this and it's actually lincoln's response to the dred scott decision which we get to next week that solidified his position as the candidate for the Republican Party. He was not campaigning on a, on a platform of racial integration. Absolutely not. What he did point out was how many, how should I put this, race-mixed people there were already in the South. And he warned Northerners, if you want the North to look like the South with all of these mulattoes, then vote for Jefferson Davis. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that yeah. was unbelievable reading that. I'm glad yeah. you brought that to my yeah, attention. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Incredible. Well, we've run out of time. This is this this hour flew by like wow. two milliseconds, right? So we'll pick this up, and this is a complicated and huge subject, and but we're going to tell the truth about the Civil War, no matter who doesn't like it. <laughs> All right. All right, brother Ted. Glad you have come aboard again. Looking forward to some great shows henceforth. Okay. Absolutely. All right, take uh, care. Yeah, yeah, thanks for listening, folks. Praise Yahweh, praise Christ. Take care. We'll Amen. Bye bye, everybody.